Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. What a blessing it is to uh, share with you and to uh, see your faces. Uh, last Sabbath, we had a little vacation with our grandkids, and our daughter went up to uh, the Avenue of the Giants. Ever been up there in the Redwoods, Northern California, Garbersville, and around there? Just such a beautiful place. Uh, our our daughter and son-in-law brought a, a trailer, so they like to go camping a lot. So this little vacation, we went up there, and, and uh, I was just impressed at the beauty of God's nature. And there's only 4% left of the great redwood forest that used to be uh, here in California. Only 4%, and just a few people uh, had a, a mission to save the redwoods back in the 19, early 1900s. And uh, after the great earthquake in San Francisco, they used a lot of those trees to rebuild San Francisco. So fortunately, they saved 4%. And some of these magnificent trees are just so beautiful. It's almost like a sacred journey walking through these pathways through the redwoods. It is so peaceful, so blessed uh, to be there. And uh, it was just a really a good experience. So it's good to be back home again uh, after a, like a seven or eight hour drive. <laughs> uh, it's just good not to be on the road again. It's, just, it's uh, good to be home. So uh, I want to share with you a sermon that I gave at Morrill Bay a few weeks ago. The pastor asked me to share since he's out of town. And I... I kind of rewrote it from last time to make it uh, a little more smoother. But I was impressed this past quarter at the, the beauty of the covenants uh, in the lesson study. I, I thought that was one of the best quarterlies I, I've ever read in a long time in seeing the, the promises of God, how that he makes a covenant with us, and how it's, it's like it's dependable. It's trustworthy. And even though we can choose not to accept the covenant, he is sure and faithful to bring about his promises to us. And even when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately God said, I can fix this problem. You've really messed up your lives. You've messed up the whole human race for 6,000 years. But I have a solution. We have a plan. And so he made a covenant that he was going to take care of this situation. And so we find this, it begins in Genesis chapter 3, if you'd like to open your Bibles today. Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> you know, some guys are really good with computers, they put all the verses and the pictures and everything. Uh, that's not me. <laughs> I have, I have a Bible, I have some notes, and so if you like to open your Bibles and read along with me, this is uh, Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Adam and Eve had just sinned. <clears throat> the woman blamed the serpent. Adam, who did he blame? He blamed his wife, of course. What, if, what else is a guy supposed to do? He, you blame the wife, right? He blamed the wife. And he actually even blamed God. He says, you gave me this woman. You know, and she, she you know, I, I had to do what she said. She told me to eat. And so, uh, uh, as it turned out, uh, it, it was just really such a sad experience to find that this sin, choosing to disbelieve God, would just ruin their lives. How one decision can ruin your life. You ever had that experience? You made a bad decision, and wow, that you, you live with it ever since. And uh, uh, God can can help us through these decisions. Uh, I remember making a decision to <clears throat> drive up to uh, to Mammoth one time for to skiing uh, with some friends of mine. And I made a decision not to fix the brakes on my car before I went. That was a bad decision. Because <clears throat> when I was driving on that 395 that rode up and down, 
And I was trying to pass the car, and then I realized there was a car coming. I tried to brake, and the brakes wouldn't work. And I was just stuck in the, in the fast lane. The car was coming. And I was, you know, like 22, not really that savvy and drifting cars, you know, how to handle a swerve. My car was swerving back and forth. I could not get my car straight. And I'm here today because I believe an angel took my car and put me behind this truck I was trying to pass just as this oncoming car comes right by me. And then immediately when it's safe again, no cars, my car goes back to it spinning back and forth just like it was before, going sideways this way, going sideways this way. I was overcorrecting. If you know about driving, you don't want to overcorrect when you're going sideways. I was going sideways, left and right, finally ended up, whatever, I'll just let it go. And I ended up going backwards into a drainage ditch and uh, blew the air out of my tire, bent the, the axle. Like I still drive, the car is kind of going like this. <laughs> still went skiing. <clears throat> but uh, we make decisions. We make decisions uh, that can affect us for eternity. And, and sometimes God steps in and says, you know, you kind of messed up, but... I can help you here. I can help you here. And so Jesus stepped in and helped them. And let's read this, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent right now. And the serpent was used by Satan. So don't don't misunderstand. God is talking to Satan right now. But he used the serpent, and so he's talking to both the serpent and Satan. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you, Satan, and the woman. Now, in in the Bible, we find the woman represents the church, right? Many times we find in Revelation and other areas, it talks about the woman, the pure woman. It's talking about God's church, God's people. And so as God is saying, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and your seed and your people and my, and my people. It says between your seed and her seed. And in the seed of the church comes whom? The Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why seed is capitalized in my Bible. The, the writers recognize that the seed would be Jesus Christ who is going to save mankind. And it says, and he shall bruise your head. In other words, Jesus will bruise the head of Satan and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Now, If you look into the background of these verses, when you bruise the head of someone, it's basically saying you you, you killed him. You killed him. And if you've had any experiences with snakes, anybody ever had to kill a snake? I see a few hands. We were walking down along Montana de Oro, and we were right along this bridge, this pathway, and there's this big black rattlesnake right by the path, kind of sleeping by this bridge. And, you know, you, you see these programs on TV, you know, how you catch a snake by just grabbing it right behind the head. I didn't do that. <clears throat> I stayed far away from the snake. But there are some people that uh, uh, get, get these ideas you know, from, from watching uh, maybe too much television about maybe Crocodile Dundee or somebody in Australia that can catch these snakes by their hand, you know. And, uh, and there's, it doesn't go well. But if you're going to kill a snake, you have to hit them on the head and crush the head, and then they'll, they'll die. If you miss and you hit them on the tail, you may, you may have to run. They, they get pretty angry, and it's not a good thing. And so uh, uh, there's a story, a true story, about a guy that, that was uh, in the, the mountains of San Bernardino, and uh, he was on a trail going through uh, these back roads. He had these jeep trails. He'd go back there, and he saw this, this rattlesnake in the middle of the road. And he stopped, and he thought, you know, 
I've seen this done on TV, you know. Maybe I, I can catch him. And so uh, <clears throat> the worst thing you can do is when you, when you hear someone says, here, hold my beer, you know it's going to go bad. <clears throat> and so uh, he goes out and tries to catch the snake. And you're supposed to grab the snake right behind the neck so that the, the mouth can't bite you. It's right at the neck. If you miss by a few inches, it's, it's bad. And this guy happened to miss a little bit, a little too far behind the neck, and the snake was able to turn his neck and bite his arm. And so here he is up in the mountains, and they were able to, I guess, get 911. They, they uh, helivac him to Loma Linda Medical Center. And there is a doctor named Sean Bush, and he is known for the cable TV show Venom ER. You ever heard of Sean Bush? Anyway, uh, he's kind of a famous guy around the Venom departments. And so uh, he happened to be there, and this doctor treats as many as 50 victims per year, snake-like victims per year. And actually, the article I read was that there's 10,000 snakebite victims in nationwide each year. 10,000 people get bit by snakes. And so, you know, you've got to be careful. Uh, don't tr- try this at home. If you see a snake, <clears throat> just back off. Just, just give them some space. They generally leave you alone. But if you try to pick them up or, blow, or do something, uh, it can go bad really quick. Well, this guy got bit really bad. And they, they took him to the hospital, and they have anti-venom there at the hospital. They try to, to stop this venom from causing the death, and his arm was swelling. When the, the snake bite venom is so bad, it causes a swelling, and, and so uh, they gave him the anti-venom as quick as they could. They gave him all they had. In fact, uh, in this particular case that I heard about, this was on TV, it was years ago, but they, they had to get uh, anti-venom from all the different hospitals in Southern California just to save this guy's life. His arms swelled up so big, they had to actually incise the skin to give ribbons of skin to let it expand because if you, if you let the, the swelling get bigger and bigger and bigger, the skin's going to rip and it's not going to be uh, very easy to heal. And so they, I saw the arm, it's just huge, and it was just a really mess. <clears throat> well, they saved his life, I believe. And this doctor is famous uh, and does many things like that. But what's the point? <clears throat> Here's the point. Satan is the serpent. He's deadly. You don't want to mess with a deadly serpent. You need an expert, and there's only one expert that can deal with a deadly serpent called Satan. You need a supernatural power to kill the head of the serpent. And if you look back in Revelation chapter 20, you'll read that Jesus takes care of the devil, the serpent, and he is thrown into a lake of fire. And then he dies. But until then, this prophecy goes from the time of the gates of Eden all the way to the final destruction of sin and wickedness and Satan and his evil angels and all those who reject God. So we need a Savior because we cannot deal with that snake ourselves. Eve tried it. What did Eve do? She was curious, saw this beautiful tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat of it. But he didn't really say, don't look at it. And she's looking at it. And she saw this beautiful snake in a tree. And then it started talking to her. And her curiosity was developed. My friends, do not walk into temptation. Even when God says, stay away from something, just stay away from something because Satan knows how to deceive. He knows how to trick you. He knows your weaknesses. Just put it into God's hands and trust God's word and, and do what God says. We have a Savior who has the anti-venom. <clears throat> all of us, I think, have been bitten by that evil snake, Satan. We all 
<clears throat> have had damage done. But Jesus has the anti-venom, and the venom is from his own blood. <clears throat> you know, they make anti-venom from the serum of horses, and now they use I think they use sheep now. They do have side effects from that sometimes. But uh, the anti-venom that I'm talking about is from the precious blood of Jesus. Turn to your Bibles <clears throat> to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to do a little Bible study today. First of all, we have to find 1 Peter. <clears throat> it's in the, the New Testament. It's kind of a inside of Revelation a little bit. There's Jude, there's 1 John, and then there's 1 Peter right before that, and it's kind of after James. 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1. In verse 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is why John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus has the precious blood. Why is, why is Jesus' blood so precious? Why, could, why did it have to be his precious blood to save us? You ever think about that? He was the creator. He was the creator, and he took the responsibility. And because of that responsibility, the creator himself had to give his precious blood for that. And, and besides that, <clears throat> Jesus became sin for us. He was sinless, but he became sin for us. Turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the New Testament. A little bit after Romans. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and verse 21. It says, For he, that means God the Father, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Our Savior, our Creator, was perfect. He's, he's God. He's everything righteous. But he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the most amazing verse, I think, in the Bible. How that he can become sin and how we can become righteous. The last two words in that, that verse, I think, is the key. It says, in him. In him. <clears throat> Without him, we are sinful. Our sins are upon us. But in Christ, we have his righteousness. Nothing that we can do ourselves can earn salvation. Nothing we do ourselves can be righteous. It is only in Christ, in Christ. And so we, we see how Christ is working, how he has come to save us with his precious blood. And yet uh, we see from this verse that there is enmity, there is war between good and evil. And uh, the war goes on. Do you see enmity in the world today? Do you see hatred? So I, I looked up enmity in, in my Bible commentary, otherwise known as Google. <clears throat> and I looked up what's the, uh, the meaning of enmity. And uh, this, is, uh, this is what it says. Give me a second. I've got to find it.
Sometimes I follow my notes and then sometimes I don't follow my notes. And right now, I don't know where my notes are. Huh, this is kind of funny. Well, I'm sure it's there. I just don't see it. <clears throat> but enmity is like rancor. It's, it's like hatred. It's like a, a severe... Uh, displeasure and it's uh, <laughs> this is driving me crazy it's got to be here somewhere <laughs> it's got to be here somewhere because I read it I went over, went over it this morning in the early church and uh, here we go entity means it's the state of feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something that's the Google version. Now, it also said, biblically, it can mean antagonism or animosity, rancor, or a deep-seated dislike. Do you see a deep-seated dislike between good and evil today? Do you see this happening? Do you see it in politics? Do you see it in nations? Do you see it in crimes that are committed? Do you see it um, persecution of Christians? Uh, we, see, we see it today. It's not just in history. And it says that the hatred may be open or concealed. Open or concealed. Now, if you were Satan and you wanted to do something bad against God's church, would you openly say, okay, I'm Satan. I'm going to cause you to sin. No, he would do it very deceptively. And he would maybe appear to be good, maybe have some good things, but there's evil kind of woven into it. And so this is what Satan does. And we, we see this happen throughout the ages, and this takes us to Revelation that explains a little bit more about this enmity, this war between good and evil. And we, we come to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> and we read in verse 7, And war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a, a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world and was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So who's the dragon? Who's the serpent? The Bible says it's the devil. And he is out to bring war upon us. And in verse 17 it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman. Who is the woman again? The church. Do you ever wonder why you're being attacked or feel like you're being persecuted or, or, or criticized? There's a, there's a dragon who's enraged with the church, with your church, with this church. There's a dragon enraged with it. And he goes out to make war with the rest of her offspring. That means all the generations to follow. And it, it, it describes this true church. And, and how do you describe the true church? How do you know if it's a true church or not? It says right here. They are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to a church and the church does not keep the commandments of God nor have the testimony of Jesus Christ, then you should keep looking and keep looking until you find a church that has the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the commandments are pretty clear. We pretty much know what that is. But there are some people that think, well, the commandments were probably just the Ten Commandments for the Jews. And so they were like nailed to the cross, weren't they, just for the, for the Jews. But the Bible doesn't say that. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. He also uh, gives us the new covenant, which talks about the commandments. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 10. This is uh, one of the things we were studying in our lesson quarterlies last, last quarter. The new covenant that God gave. It says in verse 15, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses, witnesses to us, for after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the, the, the commandments of God is, is given as a covenant, a new covenant to us in the New Testament times, and it is given by the Holy Spirit. Remember how God gave the commandments to, to Moses on Mount Sinai? He wrote them with his own finger on two tables of stone. Who writes the law on your heart and in your mind? What do you think? God does. It talks about the spirit here. I'm going to say that it's written by the finger of the Holy Spirit on your heart and in your mind. Let's look at Ezekiel. It gives a little bit of uh, an insight to this. Ezekiel chapter 36. It talks about the Holy Spirit and this new covenant that is prophesied, is covenanted, it's promised. <clears throat> and so here we see in verse 25, this is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. It's a prophesy, it's a prophecy, excuse me, it's a prophecy and a promise bound together. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. We're talking about our sins, our habits, our addictions, our mistakes, our natural tendencies to do things wrong, to be selfish. God can sprinkle water and cleanse us of all of those sins. In verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put what? My spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So when the spirit writes the law in our hearts, the spirit actually lives within us, we submit our lives to him. We put away our selfishness and say, Lord, I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. You are going to be my Lord and Savior. You have the authority over my life. And when we do that, then the Spirit has control. And it is the Spirit that keeps the law. It's not us because in our own strength, we cannot keep the commandments of God. It's impossible. Ever since Adam sinned, they could not keep the, God's will. They could not follow him perfectly. And we see this through David and Abraham and even Noah. These, these were men like us that had weaknesses and faults. And God said, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And look at what happens. Um, in Romans chapter 8, when we submit to Jesus... I love this text, Romans chapter 8. Romans is after Acts. 
chapter 8, in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though we've sinned, even though we've fallen short, we're no longer condemned. Those burdens, that, that guilt, the burden of, of our mistakes, we can put at the foot of the cross and we don't have that condemnation any longer. And it says, those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What's another word for the law of sin and death? What's another word for the law of, what does that mean? The law of sin and death. I have a note here, and I think it's from maybe Pastor Myers. It's our human nature. Our human nature. Do you know that God cannot forgive us of our human nature? There is no forgiveness for our human nature. We, we have a human nature, it's sinful, but God cannot forgive it. He has to kill it. We have to die. He forgives us for our sins and our mistakes, but that human nature, we have to die as Christ on the cross to that. Let that selfishness die. And then ask Jesus to live within us. This is in Galatians. Galatians, I think it's chapter 2. I'm just going to throw this in. Galatians chapter 2. And it's verse 20. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In fact, there's, there's a song that's uh, been put to these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. So if you've been crucified, are you alive? If you're crucified, you're dead. You are dead. You are no longer alive if you're crucified. And Paul is saying, I want you to be, I am crucified with Christ. We all need to be crucified with Christ. It's not I who lives, but Christ lives in me. He lives in you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My brothers and sisters, God loves you. He gave himself for you. He gave himself his life. For you, and he took your sin. He's given you his righteousness, and you have the inheritance of eternal life. What an amazing God we have. Praise the Lord for that. So, we're talking about the commandments of God in our hearts, written by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, just like God wrote on the tables of stone. The new covenant. The Holy Spirit is writing in our hearts and minds. He lives within us. We're no longer condemned. And now we are to walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> I like how Ellen White puts this in Steps to Christ, page 45. Steps to Christ, page 45. It says, it was in, excuse me, it was possible for Adam before the fall, this is before the fall, to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. But he failed to do this. And because of his sin, our natures are fallen, and we cannot make ourselves righteous. Since we are sinful, unholy, we cannot perfectly obey the holy law. We have no righteousness of our own with which to meet the claims of the law of God. But Christ has made a way of escape for us. He lived on earth amid trials and temptations such as we have to meet. He lived a sinless life. 
He died for us, and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your Savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Imagine that, standing before God with Christ's righteousness over you and God sees the righteousness of Christ and doesn't even see your sins. They're blotted out. And you are deemed righteous. Amazing. But more than this, it gets better. Christ changes the heart. That's what we need, don't we? We need a change of heart. The emotions, my addiction to sin. He can change the heart. You are to maintain this connection with Christ by what? By faith and the continual surrender of your will to him. Your continual, it's continual. It's not just once, not just twice. It's always continually surrendering our will to him. And so long as you do this, he will work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So you may say, the life which I now live, in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We just read that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So Jesus said to his disciples, It is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaks in you. Then with Jesus working in you, you will manifest the same Spirit and do the same good works, the works of righteousness and obedience. How many of you would like to have Jesus working in you all the time? He can if you will continually surrender your heart to him and by having faith that he can do this. Again, it says you are to maintain this connection with Christ by faith in his power. You have to believe that he has power to do this and the continual surrender of your will to him. Ephesians uh, puts it another way. Ephesians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, just the next chapter, book over, Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> 11 and 13. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Paul is saying here, that we need to trust in Christ. We need to believe in Christ and receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, this is a, a question that a lot of theologians kind of struggle with. Is this like once saved, always saved, or, or do we have a choice? We always have a choice. God always gives us the choice. We can choose to receive the seal of God or we can reject it. I pray this morning that all of us will choose to receive the sealing of of the Holy Spirit, the seal of God. And as we get near the end of time, this becomes more and more important. And remember how the disciples were changed so much at the early reign at the Pentecost. Remember that story? How the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They prophesied, spoke in many different languages. 
This is supposed to come in greater power at the end of time with the latter rain where the Holy Spirit will come and we need to be able to receive that Holy Spirit and accept him. And if we continually submit our lives to him, I promise you, you will receive the latter rain. It's, it's by faith. And we just follow those things and it will happen. All right. So we're talking now about the next part of the church, and that is the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 makes it very clear. Revelation 19, verse 10. Nineteen verse ten says, <clears throat> "But I fell at his feet to worship him." That was the angel, and he said to me, "See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy." So the last day church. If you're looking for the church, where do I go to church? The last day church, the true church, the church of God. Which church is it? Well, they keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. Now, what does the spirit of prophecy mean? What is the spirit of prophecy? And if I was to put this into my words, let me give you my paraphrased paraphrased version. The testimony of Jesus is the correct understanding of the prophecy given by the Holy Spirit. It's the correct understanding of prophecy. And I don't have time to give you all the different prophecies that did not come true by many different churches and that are incorrect. But just an interesting side note is that, remember Family Radio and Harold Camping, who, who was one of the leaders of these wonderful church stations? I loved that station. It had it was the only station I could listen to on the radio that had beautiful Christian music. I loved the music. But when Harold Camping came on, sometimes his theology was just a little bit uh, wonky, and uh, he actually was predicting a date when Christ would come again. He set a date for the second coming. And this was just a few years ago. And so he, was, he talked it up on the radio. He had a big following, and Doug Batchelor, you all know Doug Batchelor of Amazing Facts, he heard about this and he thought, wow, what a great opportunity. I'm going to call Harold up and say, hey, will you sell me your radio stations at a discount? Or just give them to me because you're going to be raptured to heaven like you said, right? Well, they wouldn't sell it to him. They wouldn't do it. And Doug goes, oh, man, that was a great opportunity. But uh, the date came and went and... I think Harold still kept his, his, his stations. But it was very embarrassing because when man tries to figure out prophecy without the Holy Spirit, without following the, the guidelines of the Bible, you can become embarrassed and shamed and you can lead people astray. So it's very important that we have a correct understanding of prophecy. And this is one of the things that Daniel really was trying to understand the prophecies of his day, of Jeremiah. And uh, uh, I'm not going to take time to, to read uh, all these verses because our time is about gone. But, but Daniel was studying the prophecy of Jeremiah about the 70 years of when his people, the Jewish people, would come out of captivity because they were captured by Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken to Babylon, another country. And God said that this is their punishment for, for worshiping other idols and that after 70 years, they can go back and rebuild Jerusalem and their temple. Well, Daniel was praying about this, and he realized that, that the 70 years were about up. And so he was praying and praying and praying about it. And he has this beautiful prayer uh, in, in Daniel. Uh, I'll just read a, a short portion of it because uh, it's really important. That he was confessing his sins, he's 
confessed the sins of his people, and he was just um, just gave this beautiful prayer. And Gabriel came uh, to the to the answer. This is uh, chapter nine, and Gabriel comes in verse twenty one, and it says, "And while I was speaking, this is while he was praying in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, this is the angel Gabriel, at the beginning at the beginning of his visions." being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, and for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Then it talks about the 70 weeks uh, prophecy. So, here Gabriel comes to give him the, the answer. Daniel had just gotten his knees and just started praying. The prayer takes maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, and the command went out for Gabriel to go there, and bam, Gabriel was there. Don't you wish your prayers were answered that quick? Boy, I do. I want to just pray for someone to be healed or someone to you know, stop sinning or, or, or this or that. And I just want those prayers answered just like that. Well, Daniel was fortunate to get that prayer answered just like that. But um, a few chapters later, he's, he's praying. He's fasting for three weeks. He ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into his mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. And he was not getting the answer to his prayers. And later on in the chapter, it says that the reason why your prayers were not answered right away, because the king of Persia was, was against me, which was talking about Satan. There was a war going on, and Satan was fighting and, and not letting the king of Persia give off this decree to let the people go. So our prayers are not always answered as quick as we'd like. Even Daniel's prayers were not quickly answered. And you may find that your prayers are not answered as quickly as you'd like, but we are still in war. We are still at war. There's still a dragon. There's still a Satan that is trying to war against his people, against his church. And we must not give up. And I've told the story many times how my sister gave up on the church after going through a nasty divorce and she went to our schools, went to Walla Walla, married a, a musician who was a Seventh-day Adventist, but things just went bad for her, and she became so distraught and had a, almost a nervous breakdown. She just said, I can't take it anymore, and she just left the church, left God for 40 years. And I remember going to my parents' house, and every morning they would open the Bible and they would pray for my sister Donna. Every day they prayed for her. Their prayers were not answered very quickly. It took 40 years. And then my sister came back to the Lord. She realized that this world has nothing to offer her. Jesus has everything to offer for her. And she gave her heart to Jesus. And now she is just so in love with the Lord. She married a retired pastor who was the treasurer of the, I think it was the Kentucky, Tennessee Conference. Wonderful man. Happily married, God is blessing her, and uh, my parents were alive when she gave her heart to Jesus. My parents got to see their prayers answered. Our prayers are not always answered as quick as we'd like. We have to be patient, and sometimes we have to trust God that he knows what's best. Trust in him to answer our prayers, and he will do that. But there are times when we may feel like we're being thrown to the lions. We're going to go through some trials, some tribulations. And Daniel, that faithful prophet, was thrown to the lion's den. And God saved him from those lions. You may feel like you're surrounded by lions. Satan, who is a lion, seeking whom he may devour, 
He's out there too. And so God can save us even from the lions. And this is what Darius said after he pulled Daniel alive out of the lion's den. King Darius, king of the whole earth, this is what he said, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Sounds like a king, doesn't he? I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. Here's the best part. He delivers and rescues. God will deliver and rescue you when you are surrounded by lions. He works signs and wonders. Is there anything impossible for God? Nothing's impossible for God. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Do you want deliverance from the lions? We have a God in heaven who can deliver you from the mouth of the lions, the power of Satan, Only Jesus can close the mouth of the lion. He can crush the head of Satan. We must trust in Jesus, and he has all the power to do this. How many of you would like to be saved from this horrible sin, sick world, and from Satan? Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, who has power over the lion's over the difficulties, over the addictions, over the bad habits, over our sinful nature. He has a solution for everything. Give us more faith to trust in you. Give us your strength for each day. And help us to be willing to surrender ourselves to you continually. That we may receive this covenant this promise, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.